Greetings, I'm Abby Ellsworth, a civilian interviewing law enforcement from around the country. I'm pleased to welcome Anthony McNeil, who is a retired police officer and was with the Southfield Police Department in Michigan for 21 years. He's the host of his own podcast called the Off-Duty Podcast, and he's the creator and CEO of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, which is composed of podcasts supporting all first responders. He has a wide range of interesting guests on his show. His interviews are insightful and entertaining. And I should add, he just interviewed me this week for episode 78, because my podcast is now part of his network. And therefore, I can now officially play this bumper. This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. Anthony, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, Abby. I've been looking forward to this. I'm also honored to now be part of your network, so thank you for that. Yeah, for sure. I'm so happy to have you part of the network. After I had a chance to listen to what you were doing, I was like, for sure, yeah, you definitely come join us over here, for sure. Thanks. I mean, it's important to me to for officers, especially these days, to know that people care about them and give them a chance to tell their stories. What we're seeing in the media is really not representative of law enforcement. Yeah, that's for sure. It's vital, you know, that we have podcasts like yours and like mine and other medians out there where officers can show that we are human. You know, we're just like everybody else that walks around. We just happen to be police officers. Exactly. So I I do want to talk about, I want to get to your network and all that you're doing for law enforcement I do want to talk about your time as a police officer in Southfield, Michigan, which is just outside Detroit. Yes, ma'am. Yep. We border Detroit. Have you ever seen the movie Eight Mile? Um, Eight Mile is our divided street. Oh, no kidding. So that, yeah. Um, But it is a dangerous market. Yeah, yeah. Southfield, like I say, bordering Detroit on our south side. We get a little bit of everything. It's it's hard to explain because it's kind of the, the city is kind of divided up into four different sections, and each section has its own set of problems. So, for instance, as you move north from Eight Mile up until about the Ten Mile area, you're still getting a lot of the overflow from Detroit. You know, uh, once you move past Ten Mile and continue to head north up towards our northern border of 13 mile it's a little bit higher income bracket you have so you have a whole different set of problems as you move uh, higher up the uh, up the miles as i say okay what pro- what what's the difference um so it's just it's it's, a, it's more of an economic and education situation like i say bordering detroit down there you know you have a lot more domestic and more violent type crimes a lot of stolen cars and, and things like that. As you start to move more north, you know, you still have your domestics and things like that. The more violent crimes aren't as frequent as they are south in the south southern part of the, of the city. And that's changed some over the years. I mean, when I first started in Southfield in 92, we had two trailer parks in the city and neither are there now. But one was on the south end and one was on the north end. It was funny because on a Friday or Saturday night, you know you were going to end up in both of them. But you knew the Southern Trailer Park, that's a whole different crowd than the ones up north. <laughs> you know? So you get a little bit of everything. 
Southfield is kind of like the center. As a matter of fact, that's the cent- that's the city's slogan, the center of it all. And we have three major freeways that pass through the city. We get a lot of daytime traffic. In the, in the daytime, there's over a million people in the city. But the population of the city is like 70,000. Criminals know with access to the freeways, it's easy to get into Southfield and get out. Well, and I know from listening to your podcast, which is really great. Thank you. That law enforcement was not something you originally considered. And so if you can (laughs) tolerate telling the story one more time, how you got into it. Yeah, for sure. It it is funny how things work out. But as you stated, I had zero interest in becoming a police officer. Um, I went to college for a year. I played college football and I ended up tearing my knee up. And I really didn't have any interest in school at the time. I, I was only there to play football. And after that year, I went back home and I started working in a restaurant that I used to work in when I was in high school because I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I knew since I was a kid, I always wanted to own a business. But, you know, I end up staying at that restaurant for another probably about four or five years. And I think I was about 25, 26, something like that. I was working one day in the restaurant and the the then new chief of police, uh, Chief Thomas, he had just got hired by the city and he was going around introducing himself to some of the business owners. Well, he came in, you know, right before our dinner rush. And I just happened to be standing up front when he walked into the restaurant as he's waiting for the owner to come out. He and I start talking and he asked me, had I ever thought about being a police officer? And when he said that, my first thought was, heck no. <laughs> but in my, in my mind, I was thinking, that's how I can get the money I need to start my business. But he ended up telling me about the cadet program, and I ended up applying. And there were, I want to say, like three, 400 people that ended up applying for the position. And I ended up finishing number three on the list. And six months later, I was in the police academy. You know, I've heard you say everything happens for a reason. I've heard you say that a few times Mm -hmm. in the podcast. So it seems like law enforcement found you. Yeah. And I would assume law enforcement needed you. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, that's not, it's not a job where you say, oh, yeah, you know, because there's the, there's the testing, there's the training, and then there's Mm -hmm. the the danger, you know, so it's, you, there must have been something about it, even though it wasn't your first choice. Because you suck with yeah, it. You, yeah, it's, it's funny because, um, as I stated, I, I got into law enforcement because I, I didn't have the money or the resources to start a business or, or get a loan or anything like that. So after three years of being on the, on the department, I end up leaving uh, once I had saved up the money to start a business. And I end up buying a janitorial franchise, which I'm happy to say I still have today. But after... 14, 15 months, I get a call from the chief asking me if I was interested in coming back to work. And I was like, heck yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I really enjoyed the time, you know, those three years I was there. I, I got to experience and see a lot of things that I would not have seen had I not been on a department. And I really enjoyed the people that I worked with. So it was a no brainer for me to go back. I was the type of officer that I was a no-nonsense officer, but I was also the officer that if someone needed to talk to, they can come talk to. Maybe indirectly, 
I don't know. I think I, I affected a lot of people's lives in a positive way. I don't know if that was the reason I was called to go back to the profession. And, and, and just even some of the younger officers, you know, the influence I think I've, I've had on them. You know, I was one of the, the leaders of the department, and I think a lot of the younger officers looked up to me. I was what we call a, a, a blank magnet. And by blank magnet, I know you mean shit magnet, because I heard you say this in one of your interviews and you did not get to elaborate, so please <laughs> elaborate. If there was something bad going to happen, it was probably going to find me. I'll just give you a perfect example. And this was a funny story, but started my shift one night. Me and two other officers, we were starving, so we wanted to grab something to eat before we, before we actually got going. And we had just had an armed robbery at a movie theater before our shift started. So we go to this restaurant and we sit down in the restaurant. We're sitting there, we're eating. And all of a sudden, these three guys come in and we all stop and we look at each other. We was like, no, it can't be. <laughs> oh, oh <my> God. <laughs> so we quietly asked for a description of the guys from the armed robbery. And sure enough, they're sitting right across from us. <laughs> and we get up and we, you know, we stop eating, we get up, we go over and we confront them and we ask them to stand up. And of course, everyone in the restaurant, no one in the restaurant knew what was going on. So everyone started bad mouthing us. Why are you guys harassing them? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? So we end up calling for some other cars and lo and behold, they still had the stolen property out in their vehicle and we end up arresting them. And, but that's, that was just one story. Yeah, I, I can go on and on. I mean, there was, like I said, if, if there was something bad around, it was going to find me. Well, so you decide to take on this job and then you leave and come back. But when you hit the streets for the first time, was it like, oh, my God, what have I done? Or was it exciting? The first day on the job, I'll never forget it because that day we had a fatal accident. A semi truck had overturned and the driver... I don't mean to get graphic here, but when the, when the cab of the semi overturned, his head went out of the window and ended up hitting the rail um, because there was a road that went underneath the freeway that he was on. And literally, brain matter was dripping down onto cars passing underneath. And I had never experienced anything like that before. It was just a shock to see something like that and you know it didn't affect me long term or anything really the, the, the with me I was like I said I was kind of different I um there was only one really one incident my entire career that really affected me mentally that actually bothered me and it still kind of bothers me to this day I mean I've been in an officer involved shooting that didn't bother me the incident that bothered me was it was the hottest day of the year and there was a young lady in her 20s. She had two young kids. I think one was, I want to say just over one, one and a half, two years old, something like that. And they were, they were just very small kids. And she ended up leaving them in the car as she was going in to get her hair done. And, you know, the kids were trapped in the car for like three or four hours. And they both end up passing. And it just haunted me because I could see their little hands on the window as they were struggling, trying to pull the, the windows down. And you can just imagine what they were going through. And I, I want to say when we finally got the car open, the temperature was like 100 and 
40 or something like that inside. You know, so you you can just imagine these little kids crying, working themselves up in that heat. And, you know, they didn't stand a chance. But to this day, that still bothers me, um, that image of seeing those little hands on that window. But that really sounds like an incredibly painful incident. What happened? Did the mother know that the kids were in the car? Yes, she she was a younger girl and just not being mindful of the heat, leaving the kids in the car. I don't know if it was just being selfish or what it was, but she just went in and, 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 and did her thing and didn't think twice about the kids. You know, she had no insight into the heat and to have the windows rolled up, it never crossed her mind. And did you have to go tell her? No, I was not the one that 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 told her. Um, another officer had to go in and get her. She actually saw the police cars around her around her vehicle as she was coming out. She didn't know what was going on, and that's when you know another officer had stopped her and told her what was going on. And at that mm-hmm. moment, she started screaming, "You know, are my kids okay? Are my kids okay?" And that's when they had to tell her that the kids had passed. So that for you is. Yeah, it's, I mean, it was a tough scene to be on. You know, as I said, just to see those kids' handprints on those windows, that's just something that I'll never forget, you know, because my kids were both little at the time, and I just remember coming home and just hugging both of them, you know, because it just showed me that life is short no matter how old you are. You could be gone in an instant, and it was unfortunate in that situation because those kids did not have to die. Right. Not on that day anyway. You know, it was just an unfortunate situation where you had a parent that just didn't think. And it was just a tough scene that day for, for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Really, how horrible for everyone involved. I'm sorry that happened to you. Yeah, well, well, well thank you. But, you know, it's, it's like everything else in this profession. You just kind of file it away and you move on to the next. I don't say that to sound insensitive, but you have to do that. If you don't, you will lose your mind in this job. And you really have to learn how to departmentalize things. And I think that was something that I became very good at throughout my years on the job. Other than that, there wasn't much on the job that really bothered me from a mental standpoint. I got to do a lot of things I wouldn't have done. And I was hooked from day one once I, once I got on the job. I was, I was sold. Good. And because it was exciting, because it was... All of that, yeah. It was exciting. It was different. It was things that I wouldn't see had I had just a regular job. I I couldn't believe that these things happened in the world. I mean, we go through our day-to-day lives, and we have our daily routines. And, you know, for most people, they're just a typical day. You know, but for someone, a first responder or or someone in, in in that arena... The things that you see, the average person can only imagine, you know, but but I, I, I loved every minute of it. I, I, I really did. And when you joined 1992 it was right around the Rodney King riots. So mm-hmm. did that have any influence on you and whether or not you wanted to be in law enforcement? You know what's funny? It it didn't. But when once once you said that, it just brought back because I, I, I fast forward to today with George Floyd. And with Rodney King, we didn't have the issues, at least I don't remember, the, the negative feedback as much as what, what has happened today. 
back then, you know, there were people that didn't like the police. There's always going to be people that don't like the police. But here's what I think the difference was. With the Rodney King situation, I think the public, the outrage, it was towards those officers involved in that incident. Today, it's towards the profession as a whole when an officer does something. And I think that's the difference. And why do you think it is that way today? See, now you're going to go down a rabbit hole here with me because <laughs> here is my theory on that. I think not just in, in, in police work, but in society today, division keeps a lot of people wealthy and in power. So if you have a certain group of people saying that the police are doing this, they're doing that, they're doing this to everybody. And you have people that want to stay in power or they're looking to get wealthy or wealthier. They're going to cling on to that and use that as their their platform of choice or their cause for the day to get their 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 faces on the news, to get their donors donating money by keeping people divided. They can keep their names out there longer. And, and, and I'm sure that's always been a thing, but I think it's, it's become more of a tool for those people nowadays to jump on the bandwagon of, of whatever the latest social issue is and ride that for their own benefit, if that makes sense. So are, we, are you talking politicians? Are you talking organizations? Are you talking people who are into criminal yes. justice reform? <laughs> <laughs> yes to all of the above okay. i think i think social media has i think back in 2007 you think about it social media really didn't come around until 2007 when social media started it was a great thing it was a way for college students and everyone to stay in contact with everyone i think over time you have politicians you have organizations you have companies you have different entities countries what have you realize that they can use these platforms and in the algorithms of these of these platforms don't help any because they just feed people more of what it is that they're searching for. So I think you have these entities and these politicians and these these really smart people that realize if we keep feeding these people this misinformation, it helps our cause. And that's on both sides. You know, and, 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 I, and, and I think that's a large part of where the fallback on the, onto law enforcement comes. You saw groups on the left, and I don't mean to get political here, but unfortunately this is where we're at in today's world. You have people on the left that have come out and they've seen these killings or these situations or involving law enforcement officers taking place over the years and they jumped on the bandwagon as a way to boost whatever it is they're trying to push. And I, and I just saw a recent post from, and, and again, this proves my point. I just saw a recent post from a member of Black Lives Matter. She's one of the leaders of Black Lives Matter. And she posted an incident revolving the, 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 the two New York officers that just were recently killed. And I can't remember word for word, but it had something to do with the along the lines of why do 
all of a sudden the media wants to keep putting these officers' names out there. What about this list of off- or this list of people that was killed by the police? And the, it was about seven or eight names that she list- listed. And if you go back and you research each of those names, every single person on the list that she put up, yes, they were killed by the police. But if you look at why they were killed by the police, they were shooting at the police. They were about to rob someone. They had guns. They were in a domestic fighting they (laughs) that part she decided decided to to leave out but to put that post up there knowing that no one is going to research it it helps her champion her cause and I think that's the problem we have with today's world with police and everything else well and you talk about the incident in the restaurant and the three guys the three suspects show up and then you go to deal with them and people sitting around go, well, what are you doing? Why are you bothering these Mm -hmm. guys? Well, you don't know that they just committed a crime. You know, so there's this constant criticism of police. The way I see it is that everyone feels now that use of force, any use of force is wrong, especially Mm -hmm. deadly use of force. The goal is to stop the threat. It's not Correct. to kill someone. And then to Correct. stop the threat, you have to do what you have to do. Yep. I always say every interaction that you have as a police officer with a citizen leads to an impression. And that could be good, bad, or otherwise. Now, we always try to start at good. But it's up to the individual to decide where that, that interaction goes from there. And sometimes it doesn't end good, unfortunately. But that individual chose to take it there. And no one wants to believe that and no one wants to hear that, right? <laughs> but it, yeah, but it, it goes back to what I just dis- discussed. Because right. if you, I'm sure all those people that don't believe, if you go and list, look at their social media, all you see is what they want to believe. They don't want to believe anything else. Anything that, that does not coincide with what they believe They don't want to hear it. And unfortunately, that's where we're at in today's world. Everybody is backed into a corner. No one is interested in what the other party has to say. And we have this division in the country like we've never had before. Yeah, it's as simple as that. Well, I also think it's just a real lack of understanding of the profession. I mean, you know, I started Mm -hmm. working with law enforcement more than 10 years ago, and I feel... I wish that people had the insight that I have. I don't know what it's like to be a police officer. I've never been one, but I at least, I ask with an open mind. You know, I think mm-hmm. where, what happens now is people just, it's the, the Monday morning quarterbacking. Every time there is an incident, everybody thinks yeah. they know what the police should have done. There's no yeah. asking it- the question and wanting to hear the answer. Yeah, one of the things I recommend to anyone that's not in law enforcement that that is curious about what what law enforcement is, go to your local department and do a ride along. Yep. Go. I, I, I'm I, I'm assuming departments are you know are allowing ride alongs again. I don't know if they are with the whole COVID thing, but when and if that ever happens again, I encourage you to go to your local department and do a ride along. There was a young lady that worked in the city of Southfield. She was a local activist. She hated our department. She hated everything that we stood for. 
She particularly, for whatever reason, she hated me. I had never talked to this woman before. I never said hello to this woman before. I have never had any interactions with this woman before. And she just, she did not like me. I don't know why. Well, let me back up for a second. I got involved in in an incident while I was working. And I ended up breaking my leg. So I was on light duty. And... I was working the front desk and she comes in and I was I as she was walking in the door, I was walking from behind the desk going to another part of the station and I was limping because of my leg was recovering. And she mentioned to another officer that was at the desk, he even walks like he's arrogant. (laughs) And when I come back, she's still out there and she and I end up talking. I never did get a clear answer from her. But I, you know, I told her, I said, listen, I've heard rumors that you don't like me for whatever reason. I'm not really interested in why you don't like me. But I'm just an officer just like anybody else here. I'm just here doing my job. I don't know what you've heard about me or know about me or anything else. And I heard about the comment you made about my leg. And I told her the story as to why I was limping. And we ended up having probably about a 45-minute conversation. And when we were done, she said I was wrong about you I said that doesn't surprise me you had never spoke to me before (laughs) you know you never said one word to me before but you took the time and we sat down and talked and we see that we have more in common than than you may have thought and by the time I end up leaving the department she was one of our biggest champions wow yeah she ended up going to city council for us to help us with our contract And everything, but it was like everything else, you know, she was fed all of this stuff about the Southfield police and none of it was true because she never took the time to talk to any of the officers. And once she got to know us, she saw that we're just people. All these things that she was hearing about our department wasn't true, you know, and she became one of our biggest champions. You know, I wish that could happen more. You know, you've got so many people trying to defund the police and reform the police that kind of relationship building is so important and in a defunded police department you're so low on staff you don't have the time for that relationship building and i heard you Mm -hmm. say the other day about how police departments are acting more like fire departments where they're now just waiting for the 911 call they cannot proactively police anymore yep Yep, that's where the profession's headed. I just did an interview a couple episodes ago with a captain who told me about in Washington State, you cannot do a Terry stop. You can't, you have to have probable cause to put someone in handcuffs, not reasonable suspicion. You know, so, Mm -hmm. you know, you talk in your podcast about having a gut feeling. I remember the story, you know, you just had this feeling. Officers can't... Mm -hmm act on that now yeah yeah and it's 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 a shame because it's really stifling what police work is that was one of the things i really proud i was really proud of when i worked the streets and i worked with a lot of good street officers you know i I remember one night my my partner and i were riding together and we see two cars coming out of an apartment complex and i say turn around they're stolen and sure enough they were stolen one of them they were two teenagers one was stolen out of Detroit and they had just stolen the second one and what set me off was one both cars were identical 
Anytime you see two cars pulling out of an apartment complex that are identical, that time of night, driven by two young people, more than likely they're stolen. <laughs> we end up getting into a pursuit, and we end up catching one of the guys, and yeah, the, the car was stolen. You can't have an inkling like that anymore. You know, you, you, you can't do that anymore. And because certain people have these agendas, police departments are slowly becoming fire departments. You don't come unless we call you. I honestly believe that that's going to change over time. I think things will go back. It's like right now we're just stuck in this cycle because we're so polarized with everything. And as soon as something bad happens to one of these people that is calling for the police to be defunded, it'll change. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know, exactly. There's another story you told about seeing a post about a traffic stop and the officer pulled over a young black man who said, and I should let you tell the story, I didn't see the video, but the young man says he's afraid, right, of the police. So do you Mm want to tell that story, how the officer handled it? Yeah, yeah. And it was it was uh, interesting. It it was an older post. This actually happened like three years ago. This incident with this officer and this young man, and for some reason, I was in a law enforcement support group, and someone shared the post, and the officer, he, he's working a traffic detail, and he's it's involving cell phones, drivers on their cell phones. He stops this young black kid who's using his cell phone while he's driving. As the officer approaches the car, the kid says, um, look, I don't want to die. I'm, I'm afraid of the police, all these other things that he starts saying. And the officer says, look, I'm not here to hurt you. I just have a simple goal of making sure that you make it home safely. I want your mother to be able to see you grow up. I want you to be able to go on and, and, and fulfill your dreams. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to help you. The officer did a fantastic job. And... He ended up building this rapport with this kid, and it changed that kid's perception of what law enforcement was. You know, and it goes back to what I just said a minute ago about every interaction leaves an impression, good, bad, or otherwise. But I started reading some of the comments. Now, remind you, this is a, a law enforcement support Facebook group. And I started reading some of the comments, and it goes back to what I was saying about the polarizing of everything and some of the comments were well his parents should teach him to respect the police his parents should teach him this he should do that and and all of these other things and I had to chime in and say listen this officer did exactly what he was supposed to do this kid is afraid of the police for a reason do you understand what that reason is No one wants to take the time to understand why this kid feels the way he does, you know, and and until we as a profession take the time to understand why people have this animosity towards us and until people take the time to understand why we do the things we do, we're just going to keep clashing and keep clashing and we're never going to get anywhere. So in your mind, why is a young man like that afraid of the police? I know what I think, but I am neither a black man nor a police officer. You are both. So I would love your insight. Coming from where he probably comes from, and I don't know this kid, obviously, but I've had, you know, similar situations 
you know, you you grow a lot of these kids, they grow up in lower income areas where the police interactions are always negative and not saying that the officers are doing anything wrong. It's just that, unfortunately, they're they're at a bad time in this person's life and they've been told over and over and over again. Don't talk to the police. You don't snitch. You don't do this. The police is not not your friends. And that comes from uninformed, ignorant people that subject these kids to that. You have that pressure that they have to deal with as a young person in today's society, coupled with some of the older people in their lives, black people. And I'm, I'm partic- particularly talking about blacks who may have grew up during the, the, the 60s and saw all of the civil unrest and the the things that was going on and people being beat and things like that so now you have that from a young age you know you have these older generation telling you you don't trust the police you don't do that so as these kids get older now their own peers are telling them you know you don't trust the police you don't talk to the police so that's all they know you know but most of them have have never had a positive interaction with a police officer you know, and, and I'm glad to see that there are officers, especially on social media, you see a lot of officers out there trying to change that stigma and, and, and interact with these kids outside of a police call. And I think it really helps. Um, but we still have a long way to go. I think society in general has changed. I think the kids growing up nowadays are different than when we grew up. I think you're starting to see a slight shift. I know it's not much, but I think there's a slight shift there. But it's it's not much. We still got a, you know, ten thousand miles to go. But you know, in social media, they're just bombarded because that's where they spend all their times on their phone. So everything they see is what's being fed to them. How did you feel about the police growing up? It's funny because you know I I remember. I think I only had maybe a couple of interactions with the police growing up as a kid, but I never viewed the police as someone that was there to hurt me. I never had that, that, that view of police officers. And I grew up in Southfield and I just always believed that, you know, if you respect people, then hopefully they will respect you back. You know, that's how I was raised. I, I, I never had any fears of the police. You know, I, I, I never had, I, I guess I didn't grow up in a situation where, you know, my family wasn't rich or anything. We grew up in a bad neighborhood, but my mom and my dad, even though they weren't together, you know, my whole time growing up, my dad instilled certain qualities in me, you know, to be a man, you know, take responsibility for your actions. I think a lot of that is missing now. I think you have a lot of kids, and I talk about this all the time on my podcast. I think you have a lot of kids that don't have that male figure, and I'm speaking more so of black males, that don't have a, 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 an important male figure in their life to guide them. And I think you see a lot of that, unfortunately, turning into bad interactions with the police at some point. A lot of the kids that I grew up with, they didn't have their dad in the house. I was fortunate to have my dad. And and. and and just for my, my dad was an alcoholic. When my dad drank, he became a very typical, he was a very typical drunk. When he didn't drink, he was the best father around. The things that he taught me, had he not been there, I could have easily ended up like a lot of the guys that I grew up with. 
part of our orientation was to go around to different departments, the the medical examiner, the prosecutor's office, and all this other stuff. And we had to go up to the county jail. And as we're walking through, someone screams, hey, Tony. I'm like, who the hell is calling me in here? <laughs> so I look around, and it's one of the guys that I grew up with. He's sitting in the county jail. Yeah, and, and, you know, and, I, and I can go on and on. But, you know, despite all of my father's shortcomings, he was there and he taught me how to be a man. And I think that led to me not having those issues and those feelings I had, you know, that a lot of people have towards the police because I always realized that my responsibilities and my actions fall back right. on me. Did you experience, did you think that officers you worked with were racist? Do you think, you know, police are constantly being accused of being racist? Are they? The officers that I work with, I've never, I never saw that. When I started with the department that I was with, at the time in 92, I was one of only five black officers out of 160 people. I can honestly say I never saw any officer that made any decisions based on someone's race. You know, I just never saw it. Never, it, it, it never happened. If they were racist, they never let it influence their job or affect their job. What they did outside of that, I don't know. But while we were on the job, no, I can honestly say I never saw that. Good. You know, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so like one of the things, another current hot topic is traffic stops. And there are a number of departments that are no longer going to do traffic stops for minor infractions like expired tabs. What I've read is they feel traffic stops disproportionately affect persons of color. I think what these people don't take into consideration is that these officers work in predominantly black neighborhoods. The people that you're going to stop are predominantly black people. I mean, that's just just the way it is. I mean, whites get stopped for the same incidents when you work in a predominantly white area. But unfortunately, if you work in a predominantly black area, everybody that you stop for the most part is going to be black. You know, and, and, and it doesn't matter if you're for if the officer is white, black, green, yellow, whatever. I remember stopping a lady one night. I had no intentions on writing her a ticket. She had her headlights off. I stopped her just simply to tell her, turn your headlights on. I walk up to the car before I can get a word out. What the F you stopping me for? You're only stopping me because I'm black. No, ma'am. I'm not. Um, <laughs> wow. So that reminds me of something else you said. You referenced a conversation you had with your wife and some friends over Thanksgiving you're talking about mm -hmm. minorities accusing everybody else for our shortcomings. You said, take responsibility for our own imperfections and in issues in the world and stop being the victim. Stop being and, the victim, yep. And then you, you also say we as law enforcement have to also... Could you elaborate on Yeah, that? yeah. Going back to Black Lives Matter, we'll start there. They're saying all the, you know, the police are killing all of these, these black uh, men. But every day, blacks are killing blacks at an endless rate. And no one gets outraged about it. Because that doesn't fit any agenda to advance what they're trying to push. So it's easy to make the police the, the bad guy in that. 
when I said that about the departments, about law enforcement as a as a profession, what I was saying was that we have to start changing the narrative. We have to start putting out the information. It came about because I often ask officers to come on the podcast and and it it irks me when they tell me that they have to get permission from their department. Why? Your department should be happy to have you go onto a podcast because it allows people to see a different side of you. Now, don't go on there and say stupid things about the department and, and get yourself in trouble. But why you going on a podcast and talking about your own personal life? Why do you need permission from the department to do that? And I think we as law enforcement community, we are reacting to things that come out instead of being instead of dictating the narrative and taking control we allow the media and other entities to control that and we only respond when they say something so what i was saying is that we have to stop sitting back and allowing other people to control our destiny as a profession because you see where they're headed where they're trying to take it to and Chief Craig, who was the, the the chief in Detroit, he's since retired. Back in 2020, I think it was, shortly after George Floyd, we had a police shooting, or there was a police shooting in Detroit. Within two hours of that shooting, there were already activists marching, saying that the officers need to be arrested and all this other stuff. This is what I mean by we have to take control. Within... 30 minutes of those activists starting to march, Chief Craig released the video. He released everything. And it clearly showed that these officers pull up. They're arresting this young man. All of a sudden, the individual that got killed by the police comes off the porch. He reaches in his pocket, pulls out a gun, tries to shoot the, the officer. Unfortunate for him, the officers were faster. But the narrative was that they shot an unblack, an unarmed black man. So now you got all of these activists lining up and you got this big march going on. And within 15 minutes of that video coming out, they all went home. Wow. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and that's what I mean. Typically in the past, departments would sit on that and they would wait months and weeks, you know, and trying to get permission from legal and all this. Other. no. Social media is killing us. Let's flip that and use it to our advantage. You know, and that's what I was, that's what we were talking about when that, during that yeah. conversation. Uh, agreed. And, you know, we've referenced George Floyd a few times and I would be, I feel remiss in not asking you your reaction, how you felt when that happened. Those guys got everything they deserved. They all should have been locked up. That was totally un called for there was no reason that man had to die this whatever he did i don't care what it was he was in cuffs put him in the car and take him to the station if you go back and look and i forgot the officer chavez i think i forgot his name already but whatever his name was chauvin yes if you go back and you look at his history he had no business being an officer in the first place and this is another area where we as as law enforcement need to do better this guy had been forced to resign from one department because of his 
his practices. He never should have been allowed to go to another department, but because whatever reason he, he was. And unfortunately, you know, this, this man lost his life. And, and I'm not saying that to say that George Floyd was some angel because I'm sure he wasn't, he was doing something illegal, something happened. And here we are. But once he was put in those cuffs, that should have been the end of it. And I don't know if you saw the recent video that just came out from, I think it's sunrise, Florida, but there was an incident and the video just came out where an office officers respond to whatever the call for service was involving this young black guy. And he was being combative. They finally got him cuffed, put him in the car. A sergeant comes up, mm. goes into the car, and he, ex- he has pepper spray in his hand. And he's about to say something, and there was a, a younger officer runs up behind, grabs him, and he pulls knows. him back. Yeah, and, and the the officer, the sergeant, who was pulled back out of the car, he turns and he grabs the female officer by the neck and pushes her back to the car, up against the car, and he's basically, you know, has her in a chokehold until other officers pulled him off. That situation is the same thing that should have happened with George Floyd. Those other officers that were standing around, they should have said, man, get off of him. They should have pulled him off. Unfortunately, the, the profession has become a political football. Hopefully that will change. Yeah, I hope. You referenced being in an officer-involved shooting, and I did an episode uh, a while back about uh, deadly use of force and the impact on the officer. But your shooting, the suspect in the case did not die, right? Correct. Do you want to say what your shooting was about one night I'm working myself and another officer we were sitting side by side in the cars talking and a sergeant comes on the radio he was about two miles away from us he says that he just had a couple pull off the freeway said that they were just shot at and the suspect is behind them the suspect followed them off the freeway it, it was a road rage thing that that happened on the freeway and this guy ends up shooting into these this couple's car well by the time myself and the other officer gets there the sergeant that put the original call out over the radio and another officer who was a little closer, they were conducting what is called a felony stop. And as I'm pulling up, the suspect's car is facing southbound. I'm traveling westbound. I can see that he still has his foot on the brake, so I knew he was going to take off. So now we're in a pursuit, and we're going down this road. It's probably 2, 3 in the morning or whatever it was. There was light traffic. So we were going about 80 miles an hour during the pursuit. And after about two miles in the pursuit, he drops down to about 40, which allowed me to make intentional contact with his vehicle. And I I use what's called a pit maneuver. And his vehicle ended up spinning and going up into the median. Well, I was driving one of the smaller Chevy Impalos at the time. And when I made contact with him, my car veered off right across from his from his and it ended up dying well as i'm sitting in my car i could hear his tires spinning and his engine revving revving so i knew he was going to come off the median and try to ram me so i jump out of the car he starts to come off the median towards me and i fired a shot through the windshield he turns to go northbound in the southbound lanes of traffic as he's turning i fire two more shots and they both penetrate the door and they end up hitting me as he continues to go southbound or northbound in the southbound lanes of traffic, 
The other officers that were in the pursuit, they all had to fall back because it had just finished raining. And because we were going so fast, they could not see because of all the water that was being thrown up. And they were coming southbound at the same time the suspect's going northbound. So he sees them coming head on into him. He pulls into a shopping center parking lot. I run down to where they're at. And as I'm running up, they're pulling him out of the car. And I could hear him screaming, I've been shot, I've been shot. And they didn't believe him because no, none of them had shot him. They didn't know that I had fired, <laughs> you know. But he ended up getting charged with two counts of attempt murder and felonious assault on me. And But fortunately, you haven't had incident of deadly force. No, no, no. I, I did not. I was fortunate. I've come close plenty of times, but never yeah. had to take a life. You know, there was a situation where there was a big party going on. It turned into a fight of some sort and as i pull up i'm the first car there there's an older gentleman there with a rifle in his hand and as he's turning towards me with the rifle i'm bringing my my service sidearm up and i'm getting ready to squeeze the trigger and for lucky for him he sees me and he drops the weapon turns out it was a toy wow (laughs) yeah so but it looked like a weapon Oh yeah, yeah. It it looked if you set it next to a, a real rifle, it looked just yeah. like a real rifle, but it was a, it was a toy. Well, and also you know, some so often someone goes for their waistband, and maybe they are going for their phone. But how is the officer supposed to know that? Yeah, you know, I I was in a situation exactly like that, and one thing I credit my chief for is the amount of training that we received. We were probably one of the best damn trained departments around. And we get a call one morning. One of the parties, they were at a wedding all night, so he was still intoxicated. And he runs out the house. And as I'm turning on the street, I see him. So he still has on his tuxedo from the night before. And he reaches in his, in his waist as I'm getting out of the car. And he says, what the F you want? I'll blow your brains out. When he said that, I pulled my, 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 my gun out, and I'm pointing the gun at him. And as he's coming out of his, out of his jacket, suit jacket, I could see he had nothing in his hand. So I immediately tr- transferred over to my taser and ended up tasing him, and that was the end of it. But I attribute a lot of that to the training that I had. You know, Had I not been trained the way I was, I could have easily squeezed the trigger. Would I have been justified in shooting that person? I don't know because, I mean, even though it was on camera, I realized that the the audio wasn't working and there was no other people around to witness it. So who says, who knows, had I shot this guy, it could have been a case where, you know, unearned black man shot by the police, you know? So I I attribute and credit, you know, Chief Thomas for the amount of training that we had because I 100% put that training on me making it through that incident without having to hurt this guy. And what about your training helped you in that moment? Just being going through the training and just that I had already gone through that incident. We've trained, we trained for things like that. So it wasn't something new. My brain, it was just a reaction. You know, it's it's just like any, a basketball player shooting free throws, learning how to shoot free throws. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. Your you, you, muscle memory. And that's, I think that's what it was, just brain memory. You know, when I put was put in that situation, I didn't panic. I didn't freeze. I could calmly visualize my way through it and as his hand came out i could see he had no weapon others might have said as soon as his hand started coming out they shot him and that's where you get in get these situations that happen unfortunately 
And the people that don't want that to happen are also the people that don't want to fund the police departments. And the first thing that's going to get cut <laughs> is the training. And the training is what's going to keep that from happening. Yep. Yep. If anything, they should be increasing the budget at departments right. just for that reason. You know, but they see the police as just something that an unnecessary right. evil, you know, a necessity that they only want there when they need them. You know, other than that, we're not we're not interested in having you guys around. Well, I appreciate you. <laughs> I want you no, around. Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, well, we do have to get to your podcast. I started my podcast in the after George Floyd's murder. I, I was seeing that officers were also upset about what happened and getting physically attacked all around the country. So was that also your impetus, your motivation for starting the podcast when you did? Um, no, actually, no. <laughs> I had this idea back in 2019 to do a TV mm. show and interview officers outside of work and get to know them on a personal level. And it was really tough to get officers to go on camera and talk about themselves. So then in February of 2020, I started getting into Instagram and podcasts, listening to podcasts. And I started noticing these, quote, Instagram mm. cops. And I said, you know what? These people aren't afraid to put themselves out there. Let me see what this podcasting thing is all about. As I started doing it, I, you know, I started realizing don't focus on the departments, but definitely keep it on the people and make this podcast different than other law enforcement podcasts that are out there. That's why, you know, if people have never listened, that's why I ask the questions that I ask, you know, because these are not typical questions that they get asked on other podcasts or you hear on other podcasts pertaining to law enforcement. And it's, it's fun. It's lighthearted. And it, I think it accomplishes the, the mission of allowing people to kind of get a glimpse at the personal side of these men and women. It's great. I enjoy it. Thank you. Thank and you. And you now have a whole network which supports other podcasts around first responders, the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network. Correct. Right now there are, I can never get the number correct, but I think there is nine or 10, we might be up to 11 now shows in the network and they range everything from law enforcement to, I have two firefighter wives, a couple of mental health um, experts, firefighter, you know, then other police officers that, that, that have um, shows also. So for a guy that never wanted to be a police officer, <laughs> you certainly <laughs> have done a lot, you know, you as in your career, but you're continuing to give back to support the profession so obviously it means a lot to you yeah it really does i mean police work i think it's just a very unique profession i think it's it has so many just nuances to it i think it just really gets a bad rap you know i and, and don't get me wrong I, I i get that there are bad officers out there just like in any profession there are some people that have no business being in the profession i get that but 99% of the men and women that put that uniform on every day are just hardworking people, just like everyone that goes to work at Ford or, or a doctor or a teacher. You know, they're just out there trying to put food on the table for their family. Unfortunately, because of what we do, sometimes life is lost, whether that's an officer or a civilian. That's the downside to it. For me, at the time in my life, 
knowing who I was as a person, it fit me. I was made to be the police. I always had a saying, you're either made to be the police or you're made to call the police. And I felt like I was made to be the police. I love that. And what do you think? What about you? Do you think? What made me feel that way? Just the way I was as a person, my mannerisms, my ability to deal with other people's problems, my ability to deal with people in general, my ability to overcome problems. I was the officer. If there was 10 officers standing there, I was the one that, and someone had an issue, I was the one that they were going to come up and talk to. You know, I, I tried, I prided myself on, on that. I was a hostage negotiator. We had a, a young lady that lived in one of those trailer parks I was telling you about. And she was probably 21, 22, single mom. And she had a, her, actually she had a newborn. And I get called to her house the week. I forgot what, I can't even remember what I was there for, but her name was um, Anastasia. We end up having a conversation. She was having a rough time financially and all this other stuff. But, you know, we kind of built up a, a, a bond. The following week, I'm working. I was on another run. I hear another run come out over the radio, and I hear her name. And I ask dispatch what's going on, and they say she's barricaded herself in the trailer. She's threatening to harm her baby. So I'm stuck on this other run, and I couldn't leave right away. So they send all the officers down there and they have the trailer surrounded and all this stuff. And once I'm free with the run that I was on, you know, I head down there. I get out of the car. I walk up to the door. I knock on the door. Girl, open the door. Officer McNeil. Yeah. She opens the door. Everybody's looking at me like, you. Wow. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. But that's, that was the kind of officer I was. And I could, I could be tough too, if I needed to, but that's that was the the kind of officer that I that I was, and that's the kind of officer I always tried to train the people that I trained to be. I have a lot of great memories, and I wouldn't change a thing if I had to do it all over again. Well, you certainly have great stories, and more than that, as I've said, I'm really glad law enforcement found you, Anthony. Thank you for joining me today. Sure, yours. This was my pleasure. I really enjoyed this. It was, it was a lot of fun. Get to reminisce a lot and tell a lot of the stories. Well, and again, thanks for making me part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network. I will have links to Anthony's podcast and the network in the written description of the show. I highly recommend you check out both. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>